welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll talk about the Pope's meeting with Father James Martin, our America colleague and an advocate for LGBT Catholics. Then we'll tell you about the first new sculpture to be installed in St. Peter's Square in 400 years. It's a sculpture of migrants and refugees. Finally, we'll talk about the legacy of Cardinal William Laveda, a close friend of Pope Benedict who died last week. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from Rome. All right, Jerry, so for our first story, uh, the Pope met yesterday, September 30th, with our colleague, Father James Martin S.J., who is an advocate for a respectful dialogue between the church and the LGBT community. He wrote a book on this topic called Building a Bridge. Jim said in an interview that he spoke with the Pope primarily about ministry to LGBT Catholics, uh, but that he wouldn't discuss details of their conversation. So, Jerry, um, what does it mean when the Pope has a private audience with somebody? Does he use these meetings to signal support for people publicly, or does the Pope also invite people he disagrees with to private audiences? I think in this case, the Pope uh, wanted made clear to Jim that he wanted to speak with him. It's very clear to people like me who've watched how the Vatican works in these years, that when he decided to have the audience in the library, where he meets the heads of state and leaders of the bishops' conferences, leaders of other religions, heads of international organizations. It was very clear that he wanted the public to know that he met Father Jim Martin. Yeah, you said in your article that um, the library is where he usually meets heads of state and that this sends a message. What what message do you think it sends? Well, the, the fact that he, he obviously, it was obviously a message of encouragement and support. He could have met him privately, as he does many people in Santa Marta, and their names never appear on any list. That's the place where the Pope lives. That's the guest house, the Vatican guest house where the Pope lives. But on this occasion, he chose very clearly to make known to the general public that he was meeting Father James Martin. And he, he was aware who Father James Martin was. I was told by someone in the Vatican that he had read the book on building bridges. Uh, he had read also some other material of Father James Martin. He was aware also that he had been uh, uh, really attacked, and sometimes, as I wrote, viciously, also by members of the clergy in the United States and some other places. So it, it was really uh, a message stating very clearly, I support, I encourage this man. Yeah, we know that the Pope and Jim go back a little ways because the Pope named him to the communications dicastery in Rome. That's actually why Jim was in Rome this past week. Um, And he also had the Vatican invite Jim to speak at the World Day of Families on the topic of LGBT Catholics, and they approved his talk. Well, yes, but they had never sat down in the conversation. In 2017, Pope Francis had appointed Jim to this body to the Vatican's communications department as a consultant. But they had never really talked. When he went up to shake hands with the Pope, the Pope said uh, he would like to meet him in, in audience. I think the one thing that comes across very strongly, the Pope is very concerned that nobody's discriminated in the church. 
And he's very well aware that LGBT people are discriminated in some countries and some places in the world, and also in, in certain situations in the United States. I, I think the Pope was sending a message. He, he was uh, supporting somebody who is uh, standing out strongly in the face of much opposition against such discrimination. For a second story, this past Sunday was the 105th World Day of Migrants and Refugees, and the Vatican held a big celebration mass with people from all over the world participating. Uh, after that mass, the Pope and four refugees unveiled a new statue that was honoring migrants. The sculpture is an enormous bronze boat packed with 140 migrants from different eras and parts of the world, and it includes Mary and Joseph, Jews fleeing the Nazis. Um, and people from all over. And it's called Angels Unawares. It's from the Bible verse that says to welcome unknown guests because those who do so may have welcomed angels unaware of who they are. Um, Jerry, I want to talk to you about the artist who created this work. He's a Canadian named Timothy Schmaltz, and he was famous before for creating the Homeless Jesus statue. Um, and I think the Pope was a fan of his before, right? Well, I don't know if he was a fan of his. He knew about him, yes. He was mm -hmm. aware. I think he appreciated his work of art, the homeless Jesus. Yeah, I feel like we should say that that Migrants and Refugees uh, office at the Vatican commissioned this statue, right? They, they approached the artist and asked him to make it. Yes. The idea for this came from the uh, unit for migrants and refugees, on which there is Father Michael Cerny, soon to be Cardinal, a Canadian, and mm -hmm. uh, an Italian, Father Fabio uh, Baggio. And the, the statue is, is a, it's, it's not a statue, it's a sculpture. On a boat, you have these 140 people. And they, he, he specifically put 140 because on the colonnades around St. Peter's, you have 140 sculptures. Right. He said it was kind of mirroring the new and the old. So there's a harmony between what is there and what's on the colonnades. I think it's interesting. Uh, it's the first time in uh, in 400 years that a new sculpture has been installed in St. Peter's, and there isn't a date set yet for it to be taken down. Um, I don't know. Do you think this is going to become one of those masterpieces that people go to the Vatican to visit? Well, two things. When, when I wrote that, and uh, I was told it, and, this, and the artist said it, and people mm -hmm. here said it, well, I, I learned that in, I think, 1845, 1854, Pope Pius IX had the two statues of St. Peter and St. Paul, which are on either side of the steps of the basilica, replaced because he had new ones put in in place of old ones. So not quite 400 years. Well, yes, but yes and no, because there was there were, those were replacements. So it, they were Right, this new. is the first brand new one. Yeah, it seems. Nobody seems to know whether it's going to be a permanent fixture. The impression is it could be. But I, when I ask many people, I, I never get a definite answer. But it's going to be there for some time, certainly. And, you know, it's one of the priorities of this pontificate to focus on what is a major humanitarian crisis since the Second World War, the phenomenon of migrants and refugees. You have 70 million of them in the world today, and 26 million, I think, are refugees. 
Yeah, this is something that the Pope has highlighted for his entire pontificate ever since that very first visit to Lampedusa, right? Absolutely. He's been, but this is a Pope who is the child of migrants. I, I think one should never forget this. And Michael Cerny will be a child refugee who becomes a cardinal. There, there are others too who, who would have similar tags in the College of Cardinals. But I, I think it's uh, important to see that the Pope, he uses words, but he also makes use of visual images to get across his message. Yeah. So we know that, you know, in many ways, this new sculpture is really in line with this message of support for migrants and refugees that the Pope has really held fast to, even as the world's politics have gravitated more and more towards um, a sort of nationalism or anti-immigrant ideology. Our listeners can find your entire story on the unveiling of this new statue at americamagazine.org. And as always, I will link to that in the show notes. For our next story, Cardinal William Levada died last week at age 83. He was the highest-ranking cardinal to ever come from the United States. He was really close with Pope Benedict, and he helped draft parts of the Catechism. Pope Benedict appointed Cardinal Levada to be the head of the Vatican's Doctrine Office, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, shortly after Benedict became Pope in 2005. Um, Jerry, I want to draw out this relationship between Cardinal Levada and Pope Benedict. Can you tell me a little bit about their relationship? Well, obviously they were quite close. They first got to know each other, I think, fairly well when Cardinal Ratzinger came from Germany, appointed by John Paul II as head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. At that time, uh, Leveda was working in the congregation. About uh, one, one and a half years later, he went back to the United States. He became Archbishop of San Francisco. And Cardinal Ratzinger asked him to help with the writing of the Catechism. This one in the, in the 1980s. They obviously developed quite a good relationship because when Ratzinger became Pope in April 2005, the following month, so very little time, he brought in Cardinal Levada as the prefect of the congregation. Do we know how Benedict has reacted to the news of Cardinal Levada's death? Well, we don't know definitely, but I've heard people here saying that he, it will have affected him quite a bit because they were close. And uh, they would meet sometimes when Leveda lived in Menlo Park for much of the time, but he also kept an apartment in Rome. So he, he would come in and out. And remember, I think Benedict liked Ratzinger liked Leveda because Leveda was not a culture warrior. He was a pragmatic man. He, he sought to find solutions. And uh, this was something he was respected for in Rome. He, he wasn't seen as a great theologian, but he, he was seen as somebody who had a, a very strong human side to him, who was looking to resolve problems rather than to polarize situations. Yeah, I, I want to ask you a little about how he's going to be remembered in the Vatican. What were his contributions to the church? Well, he was involved in many things. He, uh, one was a lot of the uh, steps to addressing the abuse question under Benedict, 
happened when Leveda was prefect of the congregation. Benedict just worked very closely with them. Secondly, when Benedict was keen to open up the possibility for groups of Anglican priests who wanted to join the Catholic Church, to make it possible for them to come rather than to come in individually. And he introduced uh, a decree to this effect. And Leveda was the one who went to London to speak with the Archbishop of Canterbury and tell him, inform him, that this was what was going to happen. He, he didn't ask his advice, he just informed him. Benedict was very decisive on this. But uh, Leveda had some experience on this from the United States as well. Then the ordinary work of the congregation, the, the, the synods that took place, he, he participated in. Terry, what were, if I can ask, what were some of the things that Cardinal Levedo was criticized for? Well, he was criticized when he was archbishop in Portland and when he was bishop in uh, San Francisco, archbishop, for his handling of the abuse cases. Uh, but uh, Ratzinger, in a way, saw that his experience with the abuse question was an asset in coming into the, the the job in the Vatican. Then he he was criticized over the investigation that was carried out, or they call it visitation, of the sisters, the religious women in the United States. And that was a very difficult uh, situation. But uh, from what I knew from this side, he wasn't really on the hard line that some of the his fellow bishops in the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops were. Yeah, I think this is one of the things that a lot of America readers will remember Cardinal Leveda's name from, is that he ordered this investigation into the Leadership Conference of Women Religious, the LCWR, back in 2009. And this was uh, instigated over concerns of about the sisters' faithfulness to church teaching on issues like abortion, euthanasia, women's ordination, homosexuality. And he assigned a bishop to reform the group, but that kind of fizzled out in 2015. They didn't end up placing any new disciplinary measures on the sisters or anything. Jerry, one thing that I'm struck by as we look back on Cardinal Aveda's legacy is just how different things are now in this pontificate than they were in Benedict's. And I want to ask you, you know, I don't know. Do you think that this signifies like the end of an era? So much has changed since when Levada was head of the CDF. Yeah, much has changed. You mentioned the uh, American religious women. Uh, the solution was done under Pope Francis. Francis, when he came here from the beginning, he he wasn't very happy with how the, this question was being dealt with. Right. Neither were the sisters. He didn't think it was right, and he ended up by sitting with the with the heads of the leadership conference in the Vatican without any cardinal present. The, the situation has changed a lot. The, the The reception of bishops now in the Vatican departments has changed completely from the past. They don't come in like schoolboys uh, getting a slap in the hand. They now come to have. A, to say what they want to say, and the others say what they want to say at this side. But it's a dialogue, it's a friendly, that they're working together. It's, it's very different, the, the culture has changed. And the, the and this is due to Francis uh, deciding very clearly how he wanted the, uh, the Roman couriers to serve the bishops and to serve the Pope not to be over the bishops directing them. So, Jerry, I want to thank you for helping us to understand the legacy of Cardinal Leveda, this influential cardinal, and also 
you know, how the College of Cardinals has has changed. So I will chat with you next week. Yes, it's going to be a very busy week. We have uh, the ordination of Father Michael Cerny and three other Vatican officials on Friday. Mm-hmm. He has to be made a bishop before he can be made a cardinal. Yes, because, because before he's made a cardinal elector. Right. And then here we have the consistory on Saturday, and then on Sunday we have the opening of the synod. So really we're now at the beginning of what will be a month of real demanding work and uh, i think there will be many stories for us to report to our listeners yes we've got a lot of exciting things coming here on inside the vatican so stay tuned inside the vatican is produced by america media at our william j loshert studio in new york city our executive producer is eloise blondio our news producer is kevin clark our audio engineer is tucker redding Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Our studio manager is J.R. Kronheim. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Tully. We'll see you next week.